Welcome, Matt, to the World XP Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. I think um, I've started to branch out in my guests a little bit and just message people in the hopes that they respond and, and slash or are down to talk. And you're another one of the, the ones I got lucky with. So welcome. Um, like I said, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today and, and looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. So for those listening, um, Matt is, and I'll let you kind of go into the more details, but Matt's a professional guitarist. I found him through the show Kill Tony, which I've mentioned in the last several episodes, but um, so, uh, like they do all the shout outs for social media for the band. And I figured why not just shoot him a message and see if he's down. And so here he is. But so you, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself, the, your sort of, well, I don't want to say job title, but yeah, your background and, and that sort of thing. Right on. Well, uh, thank you for having me, Eric. Uh, my name is Matt Mewling for all the guests. And um, I'm a professional guitarist here in Austin, Texas. I've been doing that since about 2008. And, um, yeah, just trying to navigate the music industry without without really knowing a whole lot about it. Uh, it's been an interesting journey for myself because I kind of had this um, uh, kind of scrambled idea of how it works, which, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, you, you figure out how to play your instrument and then you spend a lot of time getting really good at it. And then, you know, you meet a few people and, 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 uh, People start calling you. And, and this idea came to me even before we had social media. So there was, you know, the, uh, the networking side of things. Uh, I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't account for it foolishly. And uh, it's taken me a long time to kind of, not only figure out, but even realize in the first place, like that, that so much of it is, is, uh, is relationships in this industry. And so, um, you know, that kind of brings us to kill Tony. Um, I got that gig because I had a, a working relationship with the keyboard player, John Dees. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was around the time I started realizing like, Oh yeah, I need to like, um, you know, just be out on the scene more, spend more time with the people I work with, you know, um, and, uh, you know, be a good hang, be a dependable teammate, you know, for the bands I play with and, uh, you know, play the game a little more intentionally than just like, you know, hi, I'm here. I'm, I'm good at guitar. What do you need? Um, <clears throat> yeah. John and I had a gig leading up to the pandemic. We were on a residency with a, this local artist, Terrell Shahi, playing at a little bar on Rainy Street called Half Step. And D Madness was in that band as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we were having a we were having a really good time with it. It was on Sunday nights, and it had been running for a couple of months. And obviously pandemic showed up and shut everything down. Um, but John also works with uh, Gary Clark Jr. So 
John has a certain amount of, of visibility kind of built into his gig. And, you know, Joe Rogan showed up in Austin, and one of the first things he wanted to do was go see a Gary Clark Jr. show. So he, he caught wind of John really quick. He was also um, very enamored with Austin, to my understanding. And he was Still a- is. Yeah. And he was encouraging other, you know, other comedians to move here, and one of those was Tony, Tony Hinchcliffe. And Tony, um, Tony took the bait, I guess, moved to Austin. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not real sure about how the dots all connected yeah. between that and us, but it, but at some point, you know, Tony got hip to, to John as well. You know, he probably, he probably went and saw a Gary Clark show as well too. Um, I do know that Gary Clark is like a fan of Joe's podcast, and and I think of Tony's as well. Uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but so, you know, Tony was like, you know, I'm bringing my podcast here. I want a live band, and you know, asked John to put it together, and John did. He in the beginning he did have Mike Gonzalez, the drummer, mm-hmm. on on percussion. And he had a different drummer and a different bass player. Um, and a few months in, those two guys actually got sick. They got COVID. And so mm. They had to miss a couple of shows. And John asked D. Magnus and I to come in. And he slid Mike over to drums. Um, and since that show, he's kept that lineup. If you go through like the history of... Kill Tony shows in Austin. The first few were, you know, half the band was different. Yeah. And then, yeah. Once he changed it, um, we just kept that lineup. I think, I think there were a lot of different elements going on there. Um, you know, when we very first started that gig, it wasn't a paid gig. They were trying to figure all that stuff out. So, yeah, but even, even so, it's not paid. It gives you guys good exposure, like, to other people anyways yeah absolutely so all the guests that he has on and you get to meet all those people but i think one of the things that's curious to me is the first time i watched the show just the i don't know if audacity is the right word but there's no there's no filter which is amazing but some of the stuff i was like a shock is not the right word either but like taken aback by and then for you guys who are just sitting right there who have to see these people bomb or like do or kill or like watch Hans Kim make out with strippers. Like you've got all this stuff going on. Like, <laughs> see, like even now you're laughing. Like the first time I was like, Oh my God, he's actually doing it. That became a weekly occurrence. Like how was the first time that you were up there seeing? Cause that wasn't a normal gig for you. Was it at the time? Yeah, it was not, it was not normal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the first one I was on was at Antone's. Um, you know, John asked me to do it, and I was like, I mean, I'm not doing anything else. You know, we're still, like, kind of in the pandemic. So I was like, yeah, I'm down. And it sounds fun. I've never been the, in a band for, like, a comedy show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, Monday night, I'm not doing anything. I'm down. And I show up and, you know, very quickly realized some of the elements that weren't explained in the initial invite. Like, oh, this is a podcast. Oh, there's going to be open micers all night. Oh, there's going to be really famous guests. 
this is crazy. Yeah. And, and so like, it was kind of like right out of the gate, you get the sense that like crazy is just par for the course, you know, even after all those like initial realizations set in, you still get into the show and some of these open micers are just nuts. <laughs> like walked out of the, you know, out of the asylum and straight onto the stage. I mean, these, some of these guys are just like pretty whack, wacko. And, and at the end of the night, there was like a hang. There's a great green room in it, Antones, and we all got to go up there and this really badass barbecue joint in town, CM Smokehouse, mm-hmm. catered the thing. And I got to talk to Tony a little bit, and he was like, this is what it's going to be like week to week. You know, there's going to be this food here, and, you know, the guests, you know, and he was like, how'd you like it? And I was like, man, this is wild, but it was, it was really fun. And John was like, you want to come back and do it next week? And I said, yeah. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, like the the craziness, the insanity, the chaos, it's all kind of like built right in. And so I knew very early on, well, like if I stick around, this is what I'm getting into week after week. Uh, but it's such an interesting, like psychological sociological kind of thing to bear witness. And I was like, just out of pure curiosity, I was like, I can't, you know, I can't wait to see what's, what happens next. This is, this is wild. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. That's how I am as well. Every Monday, I'm like, can't wait for the new one to come out because whatever ridiculousness is going to happen on the next show. I feel like it's more wild. Like when you're sitting right there, obviously than then watching online, have you gotten used to like the first couple of times watching people bomb really bad and then having Tony just roast them? I had, I couldn't help but like feel like sympathy for them. And then in the back of my head, I was like, these people are probably nuts. They don't even realize what's going on. I don't, is there like the, the first time you saw somebody bomb horribly, did you have that like pang of sympathy as well? And then did you get like, are you kind of not numb to it, but how's that adjustment been for you? I, I still have that pang. I have mixed emotions. I still have that pang like every mm-hmm. time I see someone bomb. But I also have this uh, – it depends on how they bomb too. Like if they – Yeah. You know, sometimes you can see them like just legitimately trying and it just doesn't go well. And it's like, man, that's rough, you know. Like, yeah. I kind of like this this character. I wish, wish it would have gone better for, for him or her. Other times – it just seems like the stuff they said lacked any social awareness whatsoever. So instead of like feeling empathy for them, I feel more like, you know, what the fuck? Like you're in front of a crowd of people. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen when you let that come out? of <laughs> Like, I'm just like kind of dumbstruck. And that one, like the empathy thing is still there, but like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as panicky anymore. You know, I don't, like, yeah. you know, I used to get like, you know, like nervous tingles from watching some people bomb, but the, the, the other thing where it's just like people say stuff that I can't believe that still feels just as intense. 
Uh, I remember a couple of weeks into the show going through comments on Facebook mm-hmm. or not Facebook, uh, YouTube. Yeah. And seeing that like some people really liked to see the reactions on my face. And Tony even approached me one time and said, like, I love that, like, you really kind of wear your emotions on your sleeve. If it's funny, you laugh. But if it's crazy, you also, you make, you know, we can really see it on your face. And I love, I love that about you. So, you know, just don't change. And it was a relief to hear him say that, you know, so many of these moments like sometimes the camera's not on me and I don't know it, but like there's cameras all over the room. So it's yeah. just like, no matter what, I feel like the camera's on me, but also no matter what, like when people say crazy shit, I'm just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I've seen you do that a couple of times. And yeah, yeah. like the, it's really funny. You and Mike as well has really good reactions, especially when like when William's up there and he says something ridiculous, he's like, his head goes back. Oh, that's great. Uh, I was curious though, musically, how you guys, so obviously you've been playing for, for forever, but you guys have different sort of walk-up songs for every, for each person. And then sometimes like Tony will make a, like, I think one, he made it like an Imagine Dragons reference. And then you guys were playing Imagine Dragons in the interludes. And I was like, that couldn't have been planned. But you guys all know how to play it together without rehearsing. How how does that work? Because I like I was involved in music through high school, but like never to that point where you could just do something like that off the cuff. And it sounds great as well. It's like you can't tell like it's amazing. It sounds rehearsed. Oh, thank you, man. I'm I'm hearing this more and more from people and it it, it makes me really happy. Uh, to know, because I mean, that's basically we're all all we're there to do is kind of like be in the moment and and try to illustrate the moment musically, um, and to to get feedback like that means a lot. Um, yeah, we we never rehearse. There's no way like to rehearse for the show. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and so what happens is sometimes. Sometimes someone will say something and, you know, a good relatable song for that moment is something that we already all know. So, mm-hmm. like, when they get ready to walk off the stage, someone in the band can just go, okay, now play, you know, uh, let's get it on, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we all know that song. We can just, we can just go. Um, in some cases, people have, like, pre-requested songs for their walk-up. Uh, David Lucas has told us that he loves the song Friends in Low Places. So that's why we referenced that. For a long time, Tony and Brian wanted us to play Kung Fu Fighting for Hans. <laughs> well, Hans didn't like that. And, you know, fair enough. He asked me personally if, like, we could play this Andrew WK song, Ready to Die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I gave it a listen and I was like, yeah, this is this is great. It's it'll be easy to put together. It's a simple song, but also it's just it's real high energy. Mm-hmm. Every time we play that song, I feel like we're we're on an episode of Full House or something. <laughs> um, so yeah, some of the stuff is is planned as much as it can be. Uh, but then yeah, there's so many moments where someone will say something. The Imagine, Dra- Imagine Dragons reference 
it was one of those moments during the interview where I was like, well, that's the song. You know, this is like, this guy spent a decent amount of time on Imagine Dragons. Like, we have to play one of those songs. Um, and I already knew a couple of their songs just from gigs that I've had to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I tried to pick the one that I knew or I thought would be most recognizable. And so, you know, we've all got our, we don't have to lock our phones up. Everyone in the audience does, but we don't. So I'll look it up on Spotify and I'll just send the guys on link. Mm-hmm. And, you know, John and D Madness have incredible ears and like they can basically learn songs on the fly without like touching their instrument. Um, you know, as long as they know the key that we're going to play it in. And, yeah. And then Mike can, you know, grab the groove. And as long as we can like reference the song, like play the song well enough that people can recognize it for anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute, which mm-hmm. is basically just one section. Yeah. Then it works. Um, then it'll land. And so that's usually what happens is, is there'll be a moment in an interview and it'll remind someone of a song that, that kind of goes along with that moment. There, there was, you know, we had, we had Jared Nathan up there, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, his, his, his stutter is intense. (laughs) And, uh, he he said, I don't know, he said a word that started with B, and as soon as he did it, like, all I could hear in my head was, like, bad to the bone. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I just messaged the guys, like, let's play bad to the bone. And, uh, and that's usually how it goes. It's just some moment will happen that will remind us of a song, and if we know the song, we can just play it. If not, everyone can like real quickly and quietly, you know, check it out on Spotify and learn it well enough to play like through a section. And then yeah, that's amazing to be able to like sight reading is one thing, but to play it by ear is like is a totally different thing, at least for like, for me, cause that's how they taught us in school is like you read music and then you learn how to play like sight reading is okay. But to play by ears, like it would take me a little while to figure it out. Yeah. Um, do you guys have especially, like, especially in that high pressure situation? Yeah. Right? Like if, if you don't learn it, it's one of those things you have to develop your, like your ear, tra- your ear training. Sorry. No, you're good. This kind of stuff happen a lot on on podcasts. Uh, Random noises. I don't know. I didn't. I, I didn't get picked up on my end, but oh, yeah, I don't good, know. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to. You have to be able to identify, you know, the the harmonic and melodic elements mm-hmm. very confidently. You know. I remember earlier on in, in like my ear training abilities where it's like, okay, I think I heard, you know, for example, like two, five, one, six, and then I'd go to play the chords and like a couple of them wrong. Yeah. And there's not, there's not any room for that on the show. And, and luckily like the players we have in the band, 
are able to like take care of that, you know. Yeah. Do you guys all have like a headphone in when you send them like a Spotify link? Or do they play it or do they play it like really quietly? It depends. Like most everybody in the band has their like their earbuds with them. Mm-hmm. But I've I've definitely been up there nights where like I didn't I didn't have them. Mm-hmm. So I'll put the volume at like, you know, just like put it right yeah. into my ear. I think I saw you do that once or twice and I was like, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> that's cool. Uh behind the scenes stuff for shows like this is always like fascinating to me for all the different especially another thing that is really interesting to me is like your y'all's relationship with Red Band and the soundboard. Because sometimes like you got like sometimes there'll be somebody will make a joke and then like Mike will hit the drums, but also sometimes red band will like hit something on the soundboard. And was that relationship difficult to kind of hash out or was it like, how, like, how does that work? Because there are times where I could see like either being appropriate. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That's a thing that we've, we've never really talked about. Everyone knows that like, that's the thing that Red Band does. Uh, I think if it's like a mid-interview thing, most of the time we try to yield it to Brian. Yeah. Like in terms of what happens during the show, and these are like unspoken rules. No no one's ever said this, but over time you just kind of, you start to see that that's how it works. It's like, oh, band plays music between stuff. Ryan plays, or Brian plays the, the soundboard during stuff. But then there are those moments where, like, we want it to grow and swell into something more. So mm-hmm. sometimes it, like, travels from soundboard to band. Um, sometimes it ends up being soundboard and band at the same time. Like, if a thing happens that we've seen before and we, we know what Brian's about to do, we'll play with it. Mm-hmm. Other times there are awkward moments where the band is like, yeah, let's play something. And Brian had a totally different idea. It's <laughs> like you get both at the same time. And it sounds crazy. Those moments are kind of funny though. Cause like yeah. nobody, it's just chaos anyway. So it just fits in like nobody. I feel like people don't notice it as a, like a mistake. Not that it's a mistake, but like people don't notice it in that way. People just, it's like, it's just more chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's, it's so interesting how all that ends up working, you know, it's just that because so little of it is planned and so much of it is about the chaos, it's like kind of, we know mistakes are going to happen and we know that they're going to be like beautiful in their own way. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. It's gold. I feel like by this point as well, I don't, maybe I don't know if this is, you can tell me if this is completely off base, but by this time you've been on long enough that you kind of like feel like you have license to try different things now. Like you've got, you've talked to Tony enough times and he knows that like he trusts you guys to do your job. So you feel like maybe like you can try different things out. Is that, is that a fair statement? Definitely. He's in terms of like leadership, he's a very, uh, he, he does a really good job of, like, pumping his people up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, feeding them with, you know, the right compliments at the right time. You know, letting us know that, like, 
it matters to him that we're there and he's glad we're there and he he trusts us because he's seen what we're capable of um and that's you know it's just uh what's the word i'm looking for like that's that's invaluable you know i've worked for plenty of artists and and you know maybe just band owners who the only time they ever talk to you is when something goes wrong yeah and it's just like you know like mistakes happen bro especially in this business and tony hardly ever mentions any of that stuff he just like waits for the right moment to say hey you know what that was awesome I'm glad you're here and uh and yeah, we've got a lot of trust. I think that's one of the benefits of you know just having a good team and hiring a good team. It's like so little has to be said. Yeah. Move forward. It's also the other thing is when you get up to like that high of a level of performance in whatever industry it is, like you know when you messed up. Like you don't have yeah. to have like you don't need somebody else to be like, hey, that was bad. And you're like, yeah, I already know. It's like. Yeah. Absolutely. I I already know. Don't worry. Even like in sports and stuff as well. It's like, hey, you didn't track that runner. It's like, yes, I'm aware. <laughs> I messed up. My bad. Yep. Um, I got one or two more questions about the Kill Tony. And then I want to move on to kind of your musical background, and then and then we'll go from and then we'll go from there. But with um, do you get to know the guests beforehand? Like before everybody else, are you aware? And then if so, are there ones that like you're excited about? Or if if not, also, like when you see it, like the rest of us on when he like puts up the premiering thing. Well, I guess that's two weeks later, but yeah. Um, no, we don't. They keep it a they keep it a secret, and for the most part, like I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. There was there was a moment a couple of weeks ago when the guest came up on stage. And we just, uh, we kind of like had a deer in the headlights moment. We didn't play anything at all. And, and Tony called us out like, on the mic. He was like yeah, play some fucking music. <laughs> and, uh, afterwards, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, why, why did that happen? Because I usually feel so like we've gotten to the point where like everything that happens on the show, I feel pretty comfortable. Um, <clears throat> There are some guests who come in and we get, we, we get to, we always get to meet the guests right before the show starts. Mm-hmm. And that's when I find out like who's going to be on the show tonight. Um, and they'll come in and there'll be introductions and sometimes we'll talk about it. Like, is there a song that you would like the band to play as you walk on the stage? Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of guests have had songs that they want to hear. Um, but then sometimes that conversation doesn't happen. And in this particular case, um, we were not too far on the heels of the show where we had no guests. Mm-hmm. And, and on that show, the, the only thing I had to like intentionally play toward the beginning was like the Andrew WK song for Hans. Right. And so I think for whatever reason on this particular night, they were getting ready to bring the guest up and I was still thinking, you know, ready to die by Andrew WK. And then they said the guest name and I was like, Oh wait, 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 that's not what we're supposed to be doing right now. And, uh, I was looking, you know, toward the guest. Yeah. The whole, I don't even know, but the band were, they were probably looking at me like, 
hey, what are we going to do? And that wasn't even. Are you the one that cues all the songs no, for the we, most part? Or is it kind of a mixed bag of. Yeah, it really goes like everyone takes responsibility for that. So like when something's about to happen, we all look at each other and just like, you know, kind of make eye contact. You know what song we're doing? You ready? Okay, let's go. Um, it's very much a mutual thing. And I think since, and I think that's part of what happened on that particular episode, since I had no idea what we were doing, we were all like, we're such a cohesive unit that when one of us feels confused, you know, if everyone else didn't have a plan before that, then we're all confused. Yeah. Uh. I bet Mike was sitting there looking at me to say like, what are we going to play? And I just, I never even, I don't know. I have to go back and rewatch it, but, but yeah, sometimes, you know, just like we were saying before, it's like we're humans and mistakes happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's good when they do. Cause you know, going forward, we can be more intentional about like having that conversation and make sure, making sure that we're, you know, just ready up front. Yeah. Do you have guests that, because I think he said several repeat Get Actually, I take that back. There was one episode, um, I don't remember which one, but like Rogan showed up halfway through it, like high out of his mind. I think he was with Duncan. Yeah. And, then and they, left. yeah, I know. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> how, like so when he just pops in like that, and then in the case like that, is it just like, all right, and you just keep going? Or was there like, it was people yeah. like for us watching at home, everybody was, was like a, what the fuck just, what just happened? <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. Tony knows who the guests are going to be. You know, he invites these people and he had invited Joe and Duncan for that night. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Joe's like super big, super famous. Yeah. So I think like, Whatever Joe wants to do, he probably just does, you know. And uh, there's so much going on with the show that if, like, people pop in and then pop, like you said, the the whole chaos thing, it works no matter what happens. It does. It worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) So, like, yeah, if Joe wants to show up high out of his mind and then leave, it's like, well, that's the Kill Tony show. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's just uh, kind of goes how it how it feels like going that night. But def- Tony definitely knows who the guests are going to be up front, and you know sometimes, yeah, sometimes things just don't go as planned. Like we've we've had guests that you know their flight was delayed, so they they couldn't even make it. We've had guests who last minute picked up a like another thing, like a, you know, just another thing that they couldn't miss, and then they, they don't show up, you know. So, are all the guests when you meet them beforehand are all are they all like as they seem on their podcasts and and stuff like Akash and and Joe and all these guys like who seem. Are, is that them for the most part? And obviously I don't want you to throw anyone under the bus, but like, is that for the most part, the the vibe they're all, that's how they all are. Yeah. They're all, they're all pretty genuine. Um, 
yeah, like, you know, especially Ron. Ron, mm-hmm. you know, Ron really goes out of his way when he's a guest on this show, and it's like this incredible thing to see because, you know, he's been doing it for years. He doesn't, he doesn't owe anybody any extra effort. Um, but he does anyway. You know, the last time he was on, he, he poured the whole band of, a drink of his... Uh, oh, this is bad. I'm blanking. Now. Tequila? Yeah, I guess it was tequila. I couldn't remember if it was tequila or whiskey. Like I, I think said, tequila. I'm not, yeah. not a big drinker, so... Um, but it was just this cool moment. He, like, poured us all a drink, and we were on stage, you know, with Ron White sharing a drink. And it was, it was this cool thing. And a lot of the guests... They're very much like they are. Like they get to really be themselves on the stage, um, for better or for worse. Right? <laughs> some, some of them get pretty wild, and that's the way they are when I, you know, when I hang out with them in the green room. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's a pretty genuine depiction you're getting there. Yeah. I think that's one thing about comedians that people like. It's like you hear stories come out of Hollywood where like so and so seems nice on camera and then they're a horrible person like off off screen or whatever. But I think comedians have by and large have been they're just kind of the that's who they are. I think people really gravitate towards that. Um yeah. No that's that's really cool to hear because I think like that would be horrible if it came out that like I don't know. Ron White was actually a dick. <laughs> it's like no, nobody like that would be like. Uh, all right, I got one more kill Tony question, and we can then we can move on. I think there was one episode where I think it was just you and Mike, like a month or two ago, and you guys went like the musical style was. Uh, I'll say a little bit different, and then I went in the in the YouTube comments that it was the same. Was that is that something like that you and him had? not necessarily talked about before, but is that the music that you more like to play? Like that you guys more like to play? And since D and John weren't there, you guys, you guys could just kind of do your thing or, cause it seemed watching it, like every interlude, you guys would just look at each other, nod and then like jam out. And it was like really cool to watch. Yeah. Um, well, what happened was, uh, actually, I can't remember what happened to D. I don't know if he got, he might've got sick that night. He might've had COVID that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John was just out. You know, John's in and out because he tours with Gary. Um, and so we didn't find out till like, you know, basically an hour before doors that it was just the two of us. Um, and so really the musical decisions that we made were more for like the purposes of functionality. I was like, huh, you know, like what can we play that's high energy, but that just works you know, guitar and drums. And uh, I had my whammy pedal with me, so I could, like, add an octave harmony to kind of, like, mm-hmm. kind of simulate bass. It's still not bass, but, it like, it at least kind of fills out the sound a little bit. Yeah, it gives so, it a little more depth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so from my first thought was just, you know, what kind of music is high energy but works very well is just like a guitar bass thing. And that's like any kind of riffy kind of rock and roll. So bands like Led Zeppelin and, and Rage Against the Machine. And like I grew up with Rage Against the Machine, so I know most of those songs by heart. Mm-hmm. And I just I looked at Mike and I said, We're just gonna play Rage Against the Machine songs all night. <laughs> and he, was like, he was like, dude, I am down. 
and yeah, kind of like equal parts because it works and because we love that music, you know, let's do that. And that was, that was, that was the end of the thought process there. I, I knew people were going to dig it because, you know, those, those riffs are such high, high energy. Mm-hmm. I think the one, the one comment I saw, this is like my weirdly good memory sticking out. I saw one comment that stuck out to me. was like, <laughs> Matt and Mike are left to their own devices and I'm fucking loving it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, D is uh, D Madness is such a spectacle. He gets spectacle. He's mm-hmm. such a spectacle. He gets love in the YouTube comments like every week. Yeah, whether he's there or not, you know, this last show that he he couldn't make, I was going through the comments and everyone, everyone is just like, "Where's D Madness?" <laughs> you know? John John gets a lot of love. Uh, Mike Gonzalez gets a lot of love because you know at this point they've had a couple of drum offs and Mike, yeah. You know, He's got a grin that's like two miles wide. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, people only mention me once in a while and like, that's cool. But every once in a while, I'm like, man, I could use some love. The Rage Against the Machine week, I got like, I kind of got my like YouTube coming. You got your fix. <laughs> yeah, like, All right. They, they like me too. That's cool. Uh, that's, that actually brings up one more. Because you, sometimes people will play guitar. And I don't know, I know with other instruments, like, it's like the unwritten rule that people don't really borrow, I guess, sometimes. I don't know how true that is for guitar, since you're not, like, putting your mouth on it like like it would be for a trumpet or something else. But, like, I guess, one, is that sort of the unwritten rule? And two, how does that normally, like, what's your, like, because you're just going to give this random person your guitar, that's probably, I would say, fairly expensive as you do it for a living. Yeah. What, what's like? What's going through your head? Like, how does that work for you? Uh, the first couple of times it happened, it took a lot of like. It was a bit of a leap of faith on my part. You know? mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, man, this is this is Tony's show. He's been doing this for a while. He wouldn't ask me to put myself in jeopardy for this moment. I don't think. Um. And there's been so many wild and random things that have already happened tonight. I'm kind of just curious to see what happens. And so I passed the guitar. Um, and that time, that guy ended up being like a pretty decent player. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like pleasantly surprised. And so from then on, I was kind of, I was kind of like, huh, all right, well, maybe people who want to play guitar on stage are doing so because like they're, they're decent and it's going to, it's going to sound good. So maybe this is like a safe bet most of the time, but there have definitely been guys that came up and I'm like, I, I wish I hadn't done this. <laughs> um, and not, not because I was worried about the guitar, but just because I, I didn't like it. You know, it was like, that was, that was not good. I don't, uh, I don't like to judge people too harshly, but it's just like, man, you you know, in front of a live audience like if you're going to say you do something like let's do a good job well also these people say they do comedy and that doesn't always go so well yeah exactly and so at this point I'm trying to kind of like 
develop my, you know, my sense for, you know, when I, if, whether or not like a guy's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard. Um, there was a guy that came up one night and, uh, he wanted to play guitar, but you know, there was something about him. Like I didn't, I didn't feel good about it. So I didn't let him. And so did you, was, did you veto it? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So then he sang and he, and he was amazing. <laughs> he was like a really great singer. And so I was like, man, hearing him sing, like I, now I feel okay about it. And I told, I told everyone like, well, if he wants to play guitar now, like I trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't know. There's a little bit of a an unfairness to that to that judgment call because because like none of these guys are professionals. So like I can guarantee that it's only going to be like at a certain level. So I shouldn't be like, you know, I shouldn't be expecting just like impeccable, flawless guitar playing. I should I should uh, and, and just be willing. You know, it's just like managing my expectations. Yeah, but also it's it's like it's your baby, so I mean, it's both. I don't know. I f- I feel like some people can. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, that would be a weird, especially if I didn't want to do it. But like the crowd was like, "Ah, oh, you should let him do it." And be like, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You know, like that guy yonder. Like, mm-hmm. I know him, and I know he's a great player. So I've got, I got no problem. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this is gonna be cool. Watch this, you know. Hand it over to Yonder, and he's gonna kill it. Um, but then, yeah, some guys, I'm like, I already know this isn't gonna go well, but uh, but this is kill Tony. So it not going well is also gonna be like just as fun as if it goes well. So here you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like here you go this because <laughs> they're the jokes afterwards are always uh so quick with it um all right so i want to move on a little bit to your sort of background and how you how did you was guitar something all that you were all music was something you were always interested in or did you pick it up like as a hobby and then just happen to become really good at it and maybe you thought oh i could make something of this or how did that process go for you more like uh, the second thing you said. Um, when I was uh, when I was in like fourth grade, they did the thing where they like they come through and they start talking about the band and orchestra programs and mm-hmm. you can join and do this. And uh, I wanted to play like the drum set in 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 the band, you know, like the I wanted to be like on the snare team like on the marching band squad yeah some type of percussion um but they literally discourage everyone from doing that because everyone wants to do that Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay and i talked to my parents about it and they they were they were really for the orchestra thing so i i started out on viola in orchestra for Mm -hmm. a few years and we did the whole nine yards I got into private lessons and uh, I wasn't enjoying it. So I just, I just quit. 
but then over the summer, that was like right before high school. And over the summer, I kind of realized like, oh, I don't, I really don't like just not playing an instrument. So I want to get into something. And my mom had a guitar, so I just started tinkering with it. And all through high school, I just played as a hobby. Um, out of high school, I was trying to go. I was. I wrestled all through high school. When I graduated, I was trying to go to the Naval Academy and, and wrestle out there. Um, and the first application failed. And it didn't have to. It was like it was kind of like a clerical error on my part. But it gave me this opportunity that first year in college to kind of rethink everything. I took a piano elective just on a whim to fill out my credit hours. And I was playing a lot more guitar because, you know, I wasn't at wrestling practice for two and a half hours after school. And between, like, the piano elective and just having more time with the instrument, I really fell in love. And the second year of college, I changed my major to guitar performance. And I was... I was going to community college, so you know there was there was a point where it was like, well, you've got to like got to go off to real college somewhere and and get a degree. And so um, we looked at a few places, and North the University of North Texas was like actually a less expensive option because it was in state. I grew up in Amarillo, so it was easier to go to North Texas. Um, uh, expense-wise. And so to add to that, the winter of I think 2000, 2001, I, I messed my ankle up really bad. I was at like a rehearsal and we took a break and went outside and I got up on the roof and some of the guys were, like, kind of messing with me. And, and, like, everybody knew I was a bit of a daredevil. Uh, and I had jumped off that roof before. And so they were like, well, can you, you know, can you do it for distance? Like, can you make it this far? And I was like, Oh, sure. Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yeah, sure can. Watch this. And, like, I shattered the cartilage between my, my ankle bone and my leg bone. And, uh. I mean, that's a story for another time. That was a really serious injury. I was in a cast for nine months. So back at home, I was just like, I didn't have anywhere to go, anything to do. So I was just in my room practicing all day. And I think I drove my dad nuts. Because he <laughs> got on the computer, filled out all the paperwork, got a bunch of student loans in place, and like sent me out the door. He's like, you're going to, you're going to North Texas. And so that was a really cool thing, but it was also scary because UNT is such a serious music school. And that, you know, I went out there not knowing if I could hang at all. And even when I got there, I didn't quite know what to do. My only options were classical performance, which I was seriously underprepared for, or jazz performance, which I was also just seriously underprepared for. Um, but if I had gone classical, I would have to like spend all my time acoustic nylon string guitar. If I had gone jazz, I got to play electric. And so, no brainer. Yeah, not knowing if I could ex 
succeed at either one. I just went with the one that I was going to spend the most time with my guitar. Uh, and uh, the guitar department head was like, well, you know, at this time, um, the music program, uh, like kind of regulations were different at North Texas. Like, cause I've heard about kids going off there and just not getting in. Um, but I had already gotten into the school. And so the guitar department had told me, you know, we can't turn you away. Like you're already a student in North Texas. But also if you're, you know, after a couple of semesters, if you're not hacking it, like we're going to definitely counsel you to like change your mind. Basically. Um, and I think having that fear of like possibly like, you know, get the boot helped a lot because I was very motivated to basically catch up. You know, I, I was way behind everybody else. Some of these guys come into that school. They've known they wanted to study jazz their whole lives. And they can read and they can improvise and they get into high lab bands right out of the gate. And I was just like, what's it? What's the two five one? You know? <laughs> so I had a lot of work to do to catch up, but um, I was down to do it. And, and, you know, by the end of the by the end of my time there, the guitar department head came up to me at my senior recital, and it's like, "You did good, man. I'm proud of you." So it was like kind of my first meeting success story. Um, you were asking, "How did I get into it?" I I well, from that from that from that point though, like, was going professional, like being a professional guitarist, that was the option at that point, kind yeah, of. I, th I think the moment that I was at, that I was still in community college and decided, oh, this is this is what I want to do now. That was kind of the moment where I was really starting to think, well, I want to play guitar professionally. Um, and then you know, like being able to succeed. At the North Texas program, kind of cemented the idea. I was like, "Okay, I've, I've got what it takes. I can do this. This is this is what I want to do." And so, so, um, I had formed a band at the time. Uh, we were trying to figure out what the next step was for us, and Austin was like a big music town, and at that point in time, fairly comparable uh, cost of living wise so we came here and it was this kind of like 10 month long you know uphill push that just ultimately resulted in failure the the band leader slash primary songwriter was just like this isn't working so here i was less than a year in at a brand new city like just kind of like square one you know i don't i don't know what to do now and i had to reassess a bunch of things because and this was about like what 2008 you said yeah this was 2007 um yeah 2008 i you know i had been just working like a day job and and putting all of my musical effort into the band only. And, you know, when the band broke up, I had this decision to make. 
you know, I was still missing Denton a lot. I had some friends there. And I was thinking to myself, well, I can either go back there, kind of try to start over there, or I can stay here and like really start from scratch. I hadn't, I hadn't tried to integrate into the scene because I was, I wasn't necessarily trying to be a professional musician. I was just trying to make a career out of the band. And I decided that like going back to Denton would kind of be kind of going backwards. So I didn't want to do that. So I stayed in Austin, started going out to jam sessions, trying to integrate into the scene. And that was, that was a really hard time period for me. I got a job working for a, a moving company and was just barely starting to pick up gigs and still needing to go to jam sessions and network because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of work. So between, you know, like waking up at 6 a.m. to move furniture all day and then playing gigs and going to jam sessions, you know, getting home at like 4 a.m. to go to sleep. I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping much and, you know, physically exerting myself. You know, yeah. Eight to, eight to 10 hours a day for this crazy job. And, and it was, and I was dirt broke and it was just like, what am I doing? Um, so then you kind of, like when you say the scene, so like for people, including myself, that I have no idea like what that actually entails when you get hired as a, like, so let's say somebody needs a, like a live band, do they look for like a band or do they look for someone like with, with John, do they look for somebody to put a band together or like they just have one gig. So they just like, okay, I needed a good, I need a guitar player and a drummer and a bass player. And then they just like find them individually or like, how does that work? It depends on what they're looking for. Um, but most often people are, they're trying to hire a band. And the thing is, within a music scene, there are bands, but for the most part, you know, you've just got like a a bunch of professional musicians, and they're able to do a lot of different stuff. So yeah, they'll they'll form up and create this band over here, and then some of those guys will form up with other people and create this band over here, and there's just all this like mixing around, um, and. Uh, when someone who plays in multiple bands ends up getting booked for one thing before the other band gets booked on the same day then there's like a slot to fill and when you're new to a scene that's kind of what you're hoping for is just like getting called to sub for other guys so oh sorry pardon me for one second you're good Um, so yeah so when you're new to a scene you're you're really looking to get as much of that as possible until people start to know your name and know your face and you want to start working with you more often so the best thing to do is, is go out to jam sessions and meet other guys who play your instrument and hopefully impress them with playing 
And then it's like, yeah, dude, you know, let me get your number. I might need a sub for this. Or sometimes other guys, drummers, bassists, and keyboard players will also, you know, be impressed and want to get your number. Like the whole idea is to network with other musicians so that, you know, they can start calling you for work. Yeah. So you're a viable option for them. Yeah. What ex- what is a you mentioned jam session. So is that like similar to like what an open mic would be for comedy? Basically, yeah. Um like in Austin there's there's several places that have uh jazz jam sessions that go on. Uh, the Elephant Group is one. Long Play East is another venue. And then I I even host a jazz jam session at a venue called the Polstead on the first and third Sunday of every month. But then there's also places that host like blues jam sessions. Uh, there's even spots that host like bluegrass jam sessions. And I think depending on like the styles of music you get most into, you need the kind of people that can like help you find those spots. Yeah. Um, when, when you're, so you're hosting them now, but I would, does most everybody who's in, well, Austin at least kind of go through this, a similar sort of path of jam sessions and, uh, subbing for different bands and gigs and stuff. So now that you've been established, do you have, uh, like, I feel like obviously you want, you, when you get booked for a, a gig, you want to find the best people, but also do you have gigs where you're like, this one is less important. I can give somebody a chance type deal. Yeah, there's definitely. Um, yeah, the phrase less important feels kind of harsh. It does. Yeah. But, I couldn't think of a better phrase, but. Well, I can't either. I think it's, I think it's accurate in a way, you know, whether it's harsh or not. It's or the, like, the stakes are lower, maybe. Yeah. It's like, you know, this gig is, is with, these people who are kind of in this lane and that's not exactly the direction I'm going with my careers, but uh, even though I play with that group, so maybe it's okay to like sub that gig out or, or a lot of times what happens is it's just like the person who books the farthest out wins. Mm -hmm. And I get this a lot. People will try to book like, a week or less out and it's like yeah i'm I'm not available you know (laughs) (laughs) there's there's no way i would or could be um and then you know some people will book a month out and like a month is a pretty good range like you can usually get who you want if you book a month out but for between like two weeks to eight weeks, like there's a little bit of a gray area because that's kind of the range people are shooting for. So like so-and-so might call me for a gig in, in April, like late April. And I'll say yes. And then maybe a week later, someone will ask me for the same date. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. But here's a list of like totally competent guys that I know that I'm happy to share with you who could get the job done for you. And 
and you only you only really get that list from meeting guys like either going out to hear people play um or or guys that come to jam sessions and get their name and number after you hear them you've got a you've got a pretty good idea of what they can pull off for a band leader yeah that makes sense yeah Definitely is is the is it sort of the same in well i i just had a stand-up comedian on the podcast his name is nathan habib but i was asking him uh basically like are the musicians in so i asked him basically are comics in the scene like help is it like a community almost um is it is it the same for musicians because again like with other like it used to be from what I've read and listened to, it used to be there's like a limited number of spots. And so people are much more competitive, but now like with the internet and different things, there seems like everyone can, ha- can have a chunk of it. Whereas like for soccer, which is what I'm involved with, there's still a limited number of spots on a limited number of teams. And so like people will help you out if they like you, but also like they want to get theirs. Is it, is it more the cooperative side for, for music at this point and and if so have you seen has there been a shift or like kind of explain what that sort of situation or the community is like in that way it really it really varies from city to city um austin mm-hmm. is a is a very open and warm like a very loving community we all try to look out for each other uh and it wasn't always that way um, well, I don't even know. I don't even know how to articulate what it used to be like. But these days, it's very open and warm and encouraging. Um, people are people are definitely pushing each other to to you know hone their craft, but in a very like loving way. You know, it's like mm-hmm. oh, I've, I've been working on this. You want to get together and and shed with me on on this um, and, and kind of stuff like that. Oh man, I need, you know, I need a sub. Like, are, are you available? Like, Oh, my friend is an excellent keyboard player. You should call him. It's like, Oh, sounds good. You know, I, you know, I take your word for it. Cause I know how, how much you value quality. And there's just a lot of like love and support in Austin. New, like a city like New York. Um, there's a like a very serious competition in New York. Everyone is like, "Oh, look, you're frozen." Can you still? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, okay, good. you were frozen. Okay, yeah, you're back. Um, they, you know, they'll. It's hard for me to like accurately articulate everything about the New York scene because. You know, I've only been there a handful of times. Yeah, but just for like the people, the people listening to like the people listening to this are going to have no idea. So like, if you can just gen- like even just generalize, it's yeah, it's all good. Yeah. So you know, New York's New York's very competitive, um, and and that's just like it's a hard city in that way. And then a scene like L.A. L.A. is very. Uh, Oh man, I hesitate to say this, but this is the report I get back from a lot of people because I don't live there. But like the scene in LA has a reputation for being like very 
very artificial. Like mm-hmm. everyone's everyone's about the hustle and the networking. So they've all got like a everybody's got a pitch for you. Like as soon as you meet them, you know, um, a city like Nashville, uh, there's a lot of. Seems like the cities where there's a lot of corporate industry stuff, you know, there's there's a lot of like kind of that thing that I'm talking about with LA going on. I don't think Nashville's as bad. Like from what I know with the Nashville scene, like it's it's got a like a strange mix of what's going on in LA where there's like a lot of like, you know, here's my car, ding. And <laughs> but also a lot of what's going on with Austin, where like the musicians themselves beyond Beyond the industry side, everybody's real warm and supportive of each other. It's also like, from what I can tell, it's hard to make a, a decent wage in town in Nashville. Like, you do have to get plugged into the corporate thing. Because mm. The gigs in town are just like, yeah, do you want to play at this bar for four hours for 50 bucks? You know? Um, and in Austin, you don't have to do that. Austin is much more direct from, there's not really like the agents and the middlemen and stuff is more with like people want to hire musicians and they go directly to you. Like they call their friend who they know that knows you. And then it goes like that. Yeah. From what I've seen, there's just a lot of like, there's a lot of trust from the musicians. Um, and I think the musicians here take that very seriously and, and make themselves they take a lot of care to make them make themselves into the best professionals that they can be. So if you call a guy that I recommend, he's going to show up on time. He's going to have done his homework. He's also just going to be an outstanding player and he's going to be a great hang. Like, and everyone takes care to be that kind of person and, and recommend those kind of people and encourage each other to be those kind of people. And, and as a result, we've got this pretty amazing scene where there's just like kind of a, an overall air of trust that, that you're going to get a good guy for the job. If you ask a good guy for the job and he recommends someone else. Yeah. That's really cool. I think a lot of places have lost that um, generally. Do you, and because of that, you hear, you get people moving to, to Austin all over the place. Do you, like, to me, that sounds amazing. I'd love to be in a situation, like, where it fosters, like, the, it's like the responsibilities on you to be the best that you can be, but also you got the support of, like, the people around you. Yeah. Uh, like, for me, it's just the best way to go about doing things in any situation almost like you trust the individual that they want to be the best that they can be. And then you give them the support that they need to do it. Then that's what, do you worry at all that Austin is going to morph into like a a New York or LA where they, where it's more like corporate or like the industry is involved or, or is it your sense that the kind of trust, like the community that you guys have built would be able to kind of withstand, not withstand, but like, like they would look at Austin and be like, Oh, this might not be worth our time because they have their own little like thing going on there. Does that worry you at all? Or are you kind of, I have a lot of, uh, 
have a lot of optimism for Austin, to be honest. Um, I see more industry coming our way. Um, and I, and I welcome it and I, and I hope more industry comes our way. Um, I also just think the network of people here are warm enough and, and have such a mindset for like, have such a heart for the scene that we've developed that if industry steps in, it'll kind of like, it'll be basically enveloped by by the warmth that is in this city. And so instead of it being a thing that would like step in and take over and ruin it, it would be a thing that I would hope and feel like it could come in and be influenced by us and like be integrated, but also like changed for the better. Um, Yeah, that's, you know, I don't know how much, uh, I've done any research in that department, you know, there's, there's, that's just kind of the feeling I have. That's my opinion. Yeah. But it's also like my hope. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, but it's like, it's like that with, with everything like you, when you have a community that's like that, this is like the same way with food. Like you, your friend recommends a restaurant, like, you know, it's going to be a good restaurant, even if like, it's just a, it's a local, like CM Smokehouse, for instance, is like a, a place that's there. And you recommend it and it's good. And because they have the, like the drive to make their food good. And then like the comedy scene, like, you know, that if you go see William, right, he's got his chance because Tony helped him out, but you know, he's putting in the work and the reading straight from his note cards. (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, that, it just seems like a really cool is, have you noticed the growth in that way? And like in your own, like when you walk down the street and you're like, there's so many more people here than there was like a year ago or whatever. Yeah. It's really hard not to notice the growth, uh, mostly because there's just construction all over the city all the time. The skyline looks different every year. And it's been like that for, man, it's been like that for a while now. Um, even the neighborhood that I live in, they're, you know, they're, they're building like a new school, like right over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot across the street from me is just this empty field, but I'm pretty sure its days are numbered because I've just watched all the empty fields in this area just disappear over the last. There's so much growth going on, and it's it's weird. I mean, maybe I don't go out enough because I don't I don't feel like when I go out I've, I've I feel like, oh, there's more people in this room than there used to be. Um, and the traffic, like, uh, the traffic's always sucked. So it's like, <laughs> but just in terms of like, you know, seeing new structures go up all the time, like it's just, it's impossible not to notice the growth here. It happened with me when I was in college. I'd go back, my parents live like, an hour or two outside DC. And every time I would go back from college for like winter break, there would be a new like shopping center or a new this, or a new that a new Metro station, like whatever. And, and the same with the traffic there, it's like 95 around DC, I 95 around DC is like, you might as well just walk most of the time. Honestly, even now people are working from home. It's just like, 
It's atrocious. So my parents are all pissed off because they put in a metro station like five minutes from their house. And they're like, the traffic's going to be horrible. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Like, what do you want to write the city a letter and tell them to not build it? It's like. Uh, you live in a city, there's traffic. Yeah. So what's, um, we've been talking almost for an hour and a half already. It's wild. Um, what's sort of, uh, what's next for you, I guess, in, in the future of. Matt Muling, you got you got your Kill Tony stuff. You got your other bands that that you're going on. Seeing some of your Instagram posts, so you playing at different places here and there. What's the uh, what's the next couple of years look like for you? The big thing right now is uh, I put a I put a new band together with a a drummer and a keyboard player and a violinist, and uh, it's called Open Two Point and there's a lot of elements um, just coming together with this group that I'm excited about. You know, most of the time when you put a band together, it ends up just being a group of musicians. And hopefully someone's got connections and good at booking and you'll be able to play shows out. With this group, um, I kind of accidentally uh, assembled a team of like multifaceted artists. You know, uh, our violinist and our drummer are also very much into like photography and film, and as a result, we have this kind of built-in, regular outpouring of, of content. Because every time we get together to rehearse, we're shooting. You know, and our violinist is also. Um, I mean, she's not a like a professional uh, web designer by trade, meaning, you know, like I, she hasn't been hired to do that for people, but she, yeah. she very much could, in my opinion. And she's she's way into that stuff. So she just took it upon herself to like put together a bunch of our materials. And because we have so much stuff together in terms of content and, and web um, and kind of like administrative band infrastructure, even without a manager, like it's just the four of us. We've already got, it feels like wheels and momentum. We're, we're all, we've already got like cool shows on the books, you know, months out. Um, we're already getting on the road. We're already doing stuff. We've already got a lot of eyes on us. And, and it's uh, it's not just a band that's like doing that side of things right. It's also a band that's like really making incredible music and has great players who are respected in their own right, just as players in this community, and have you know kind of a reputation for bringing a certain level of excellence to the table. And I think with all these elements being like combined in one little unit, this band seems to be going places really really fast and so it's exciting and i'm hoping to see that you know you asked about the oncoming years i'm just hoping to see that like take off and blossom and become a viable sense source of income and maybe alleviate some of the other tasks i take on just to make money uh and other than that i just you know i i'm on a 
kind of a never-ending path to to try and be a better guitarist and better musician and a better songwriter and always be involved with you know very creative projects here in town stuff that stuff that just ha- sounds like it has passion behind it mm-hmm. you know as a professional musician there's so much corporate stuff you have to do you have to like you have to have a wedding band you know you have to be able to like play 75% of you know the top 100 chart just so you know just so you can make money and it's like man all that stuff is cool uh i want to make original music you know how do i make yeah. money making original music um and i've been fortunate in that you know within the past 5 years I've become more and more aligned with people, with more and more people who are figuring out how to do that, how to make make a career out of making original music, um, and I'm seeing it blossom and grow and 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 take on new directions, and and it's really exciting, and I'm just trying to keep momentum into that. Yeah. That sounds all oh, that sounds awesome. Feels good to be surrounded with like with other excellence, I guess. It's when you it almost feels like not like you've made it, but it gives you this good like growing up, at least for me, with, with soccer and other things, it's like there's always a weak link in certain things. And when you get to that point where everyone is at the top of their game, it's it's a very good feeling, I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just where, yeah, when everyone in the room is firing on all cylinders, and you can you can trust yourself, but you can also trust the people around you. And then the fact that everyone is so good at what they do, but also so good at working with other people who are good at what they do, that all of a sudden you get this product that's like greater than some of its parts. There's yeah, there's nothing like that feeling. Yeah, I think that is a good place to wrap this up. Um, you okay? You said the band was what? Open two point oh. Yeah, and that last O is is the letter O. I know that two point oh is usually like two point zero, but this is open two point letter O. And is that on? Are you and the band are on social media and stuff? Where can yeah. where can people find? Obviously, we'll put all that stuff down in the description. But where can the people find that stuff at? Um, on IG, which is kind of what we use as our hub for everything, you can just find us at Open 2.0. There it is. Love it. And um, that'll link you to like anything else you could possibly need. Like the website link is right there at the top of the page. And bunch of our cool video content is is right there you can get an idea of what we sound like and, um at this point you just got to keep up with us you know it's a brand new band so we don't have any records out we're we're writing new music all the time and playing shows and you know who knows when we'll release anything but a big element of our of our mantra is, is just like the live experience. So you got to keep up with us so you can find out where we'll be next. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll have to get down to Austin at some point and see a Kill Tony show, see one of y'all shows, and it would be a, it would be a great time. Also, when when you guys put stuff out, um, I'll be on the lookout for it. So those listening, I'll it'll be shared on Instagram or somewhere. Yeah, probably Instagram. But yeah, man, I really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure to meet you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Learned a lot as well. Um, yeah, all good things, man. Likewise, man. Thank you for having me. Of course. With that, guys, we will see you guys next time. Peace. <laughs>